Hi again, Mary. Hi, me. You all set? Yep. All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Craft Business Life podcast. My name is Lee Solomon. Uh, this podcast is all about actors and occasionally other people, but mostly actors and how they really do what they do, the real nuts and bolts of an actor's life and auditioning and working and training and all that stuff and more. And uh, my guest today has been an actor for, for a long time, and she's been through a lot of different things, and uh, now she is raising a family while also being an actor, and, uh, you know, uh, she can speak to, uh, I think, all different aspects of the journey, and then some. So I'm very excited to uh, have her on, Mary Sheridan. Thank you again so much for doing this. Thank you. Yeah, so I always start with... Um, asking my guests to kind of describe their current day-to-day life. You know, what are you focused on these days? Do you have a day job? I know you have your son. Uh, what, if any, acting are you doing? Just what's your day-to-day life and focus right now? Yeah, um, I, I do have a day, a day job. I, I have an office job. Uh, I work for a small company that's owned by the Financial Times newspaper. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's really, uh, it's been a godsend for me, um, uh, because in addition to my kind of artistic skills, the other thing I'm really good at is being organized and details. And that's what my day job is all about. So it's a nice, uh, yin to the yang of, uh, also being an artist. And that's- um, and, uh, and then, um, my son, who you just spoke about, he's two. So I often um, will pick him up, either drop him off or pick him up from preschool, either before or after work. And then, uh, yeah, I just try to keep active as much as I can in theater. Um, Right now I happen to be in a bunch of stage readings, which is fun because I get to work on a lot of different things, a lot of different types of projects uh, at the same time. Um, and yet none of them is overwhelming because it's, uh, just the stage reading at this point. Um, and, uh, they're all, uh, wildly different styles and parts and types of material. So, uh, that makes it exciting. Yeah. So let's unpack a couple of things in there. Firstly, you know, the first thing you said about being very organized and, and having that kind of day job, you know, you know, from my own experience and knowing people as well as doing this podcast, you know, there's many different day job routes actors go down. Some do the restaurant thing, some do uh, promotional work, whatever, uh, and all different things. And some, of course, do regular office work. And, you know, I think the cliche or the assumed stereotype about artists is that they're not organized and they couldn't handle an office job or whatever. And obviously that's very silly for a lot of different reasons. Plus, as an actor, you need to be organized in terms of managing your life and your time and your auditions and everything. You know, people are always told that as an actor, what you're really doing is running your own business, which is yourself. Um, but, you know, you, 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 you said you see it as a positive thing, which I understand. Um, but, you know, so, you know, talk more about, um, you know, 
you enjoy this job and you, you know, you, you find it, you know, you're not sitting there all day and going, God, I wish I was acting right now, you know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, of course, I would always rather be performing. Um, but that being said, um, I'm a person who thrives on uh, kind of stability and, uh, and I thrive on um, working hard, which sounds kind of... Uh, not like a very hip thing to say, but it's true. Um, and, uh, and I like, uh, the continuity of, uh, being around the same people and, uh, in a working environment and, uh, building trust among them and, uh, having people rely on me for, uh, finishing tasks that, uh, are needed. And, um, I kind of, uh, feel that that's uh makes me not your typical actor um but i you know i have met other actors who have that uh in common with me but um yeah i uh i i think that i've learned that in this uh day and age i do better having um a day job and then um doing the acting on top of that. I, I've tried to just act full time and I found that for me, I just was so stressed out about uh, money all the time that it just wasn't any fun. And my life uh, seemed to compromise, you know, take a, take a step back in terms of like all the other things I wanted to do, like travel and see shows and go out. Um, whereas now I feel like I have, uh, I can do everything I want to do, uh, and be an artist. No, I don't think that's strange or uncommon at all. Um, and of course it all makes sense, you know? And, um, so let me ask you, I mean, we're, we're jumping ahead a little bit here, but you know, let's say, you know, you were offered some incredible contract right now. Would you quit your day job and take it as an actor? Yes, absolutely. I mean, part of the issue for me is the thing I really love is the theater. um, And everybody knows that that doesn't pay as well as uh, film and television. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I would love that. I would love to be offered, uh, you know, I think the only thing that would make sense financially is if I was offered a Broadway contract. So if that were to happen, absolutely, I would leave my job. And if I'm not mistaken, you are equity, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. So, and that's a good segue into the staged readings. You know, I was going to say, one of the great things about New York is that even if, you know, at the moment, you know, acting is just something you can devote a smaller number of hours of your time to, but you still want to. There are plenty of opportunities for that. Classes, doing these kind of readings, smaller productions, whatever it is. Um, so how does it work? Because uh, a lot of another, another, you know, one of the many subtopics of this podcast is union versus non-union and all that stuff. So as an equity actor, how does it work for for readings? Are you are you restricted in any way from those? They just have to get uh, the heads up uh, from equity that it's okay, um, and right. they have to pay a, a small tra- travel stipend, and then they are allowed to use uh, union actors. 
Got it. Okay. Very good. Um, very cool. Yeah. And so, um, so let's actually go through your background and everything. Cause you've, 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 you've got a very interesting one in my opinion. Um, so you were originally from, um, is it Spokane, Washington? That, that's correct. It's actually, uh, it's pronounced Spokane. I'm not, that's no right. Why, that's but. right. It is. No, I've I've always been corrected about that. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. So yeah, I think it's actually yeah, like a Native American word. So that might have something to do with it. Mm-hmm. And um, you mentioned to me that that you know uh, you know growing up there, you you were into performing and singing and everything pr- pretty early in life. Yeah, I grew up in a community, uh, I'm sure this is quite common, where sports were, like, super important, Yeah. and I just was never good at sports, uh, and so it was very thrilling to me, even as young as eight, to realize that um, I, I had a natural affinity when it came to performing and anything music-related. So tell us more about that. So, so, you know, were you just, you know, drawn, you were drawn to singing and, and you found that you, you could naturally sing and carry a tune even as a young child or? Uh, well, when it comes to singing specifically, uh, I feel like I have a natural instrument in my voice, but uh, I'm not so uh, technically savvy musically, uh, but, you know, given a lot of practice and time, I can get there. Uh, but it was more like with plays, uh, and as a kid, I guess I mostly did children's theater and musical theater, and I just, uh, I think I just had a presence uh, right away, and so, uh, I was always getting cast and often getting big parts, um, from a young age, um, and, Early on, my problem was I just was just so much energy. I think it just kind of overwhelms people. But then I think uh, given some time and maturity, I learned to reel that in a little bit and uh, be able to use the presence that I had but also find some stillness while performing. Sure. Well, I think that's that's certainly... uh uh, a common for, for a lot of performers. So, okay, so you're going through school, you're into this, and was anybody else in your family in the arts at all? Was there any background of that for you? Well, my siblings are both math science guys, mm-hmm. so definitely not there. But um, my mom and my aunt uh, were always interested in theater. And my dad... Uh, was naturally gifted with a violin. Oh, wow. So there cool. were some seats there, yeah. So it sounds then like they probably were excited for you and actually encouraged your, your desire to do this. Oh, absolutely. But also were always okay with my, you know, wanting to take breaks or if I wanted to not do it anymore, they'd be okay with that too. They, they My parents were wonderful in that they opened all these doors for me, but also gave me the freedom to, you know, try different things or not do the things I wasn't enjoying. So I think it was kind of the best of both. 
Yeah, I was going to say, sounds like a great balance. That, that that sounds perfect. You know, it it can be a struggle because a lot of parents get very nervous about it or don't really want, you know, not, I mean, everybody I've spoken to so far, uh, you know, nobody has ever said, oh, my parents discouraged me. But when it gets to the point of, you know, wanting to do it professionally, some are, of course, very concerned. But anyway, um, but for the most part, it seems that, that every guest I've had on the podcast so far and everybody I've ever known, I've never heard anybody whose parents weren't, you know, thrilled for them and, and supportive as much as they could be, um, which is which is always nice to hear. So, um, but anyway, so... So then what happens with you? So I assume this continues in high school. Do you have the opportunity to do a lot of plays and things in high school? Yeah, and the nice thing about my high school experience was there really wasn't uh, a drama club. Uh, And it just so happened that around the time I started high school, it started up. So, So I felt like right away, even as a freshman, I could take like a big leadership role and, uh, got to be in every play and got to play some major roles uh, in almost every show that was offered. Um, and, you know, I, I was part of this clique of uh, kids in the theater, and uh, it was it was kind of like <laughs> as if we worked for a startup, you know, that sort of mentality where it was just like a small group, but we all did everything, and um, I think it was very empowering. Yeah, that's a great experience. Um... And so do you know why it happened to start then? And, you know, what what prompted it to start if it wasn't there before? I don't know. Um, I mean, I'm just really grateful it did because I don't don't know what I would have done without it. Um, And and in addition to the school uh, drama activities, there was a community theater in the town, which was uh, very active, and there were a lot of things that I got involved with regarding that, too. Um, there was a children's theater wing, which I did from a young age, and there was a main stage, which I um, did some ensemble roles in, and then there was, uh, which I mentioned to you in my email, there was a what they called the performance troupe, which was sort of like an advanced group for uh, teenagers. And I got into that, not the first time, but the second time I auditioned. And that was always the highlight of my week because it was like a select group of kids from around the town who were the best uh, performers. And we all just hit it off so well. And we had so many fun experiences together. That's so fantastic. I, I had some similar things uh, in my youth as well. So that's um, that. Yeah, that's really wonderful for for for, for someone uh, growing up who, who wants to do that stuff. So, um, and I'm just curious. You know, you mentioned that the the drama department was new, and it was a small group of you. And was your high school uh, fairly small overall? No, it was. Uh I think around 1,500 kids oh, okay. so big. for four years. Okay. Yeah, but as I had mentioned, it was very sports-focused. Well, that was what I was getting to. So, yeah, big school with a lot of sports and stuff, and then you guys start this new thing with the drama component. Very interesting, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I just, uh, my whole life I've just loved 
being busy and being active. And so since I wasn't going to make really any sports team, I was um, a cheerleader as well, <laughs> which I found fun um, a lot because we did a lot of uh, dance routines, like for school assemblies and for uh, game halftimes. And, and I really enjoyed that. It's very interesting too, isn't it, that a big difference between the arts, at least in theater and acting, you know, uh, other than like say dance or something, but you know, between the arts and sports is that, you know, if you're not athletic, you're not going to be in sports really. Whereas there are plenty of actors with athletic backgrounds. There are plenty of actors with absolutely non-athletic backgrounds and they can all come together to, to do theater and stuff, which I think is, is pretty cool. Um, so anyway, great. So, and then after high school, you ended up for at Yale for college, right? Yes. And that's, you know, that's no easy task. And by the way, I wasn't uh, completely clear from, from uh, what you emailed me. Was it the Yale School of Drama or were you at Yale for something else? No, I was uh, an undergrad. So I kind of got to pick what I would uh, end up majoring in. And of all things, I majored in history. Okay, so see, I didn't realize that. So is the Yale School of Drama not an undergraduate school? It's a graduate school? Correct. Oh, okay. I didn't even know that. Sorry. <laughs> okay. No, no, so you were at Yale as a regular undergraduate for history. So first of all, you know, clearly that also shows that despite your focusing on theater and cheerleading and all your energy with all that stuff, you must have also done very well academically to get into Yale. Yeah, I, yeah, I, uh, yeah, I was, I mean, I think there were 10, but I was one of 10 valedictorians. Um, oh, wow. There you go. Yeah. Um, congratulations. Very cool. So, okay, so you're at Yale, and, and well, let's back up first. So, you know, that's you're on the other side of the country in Washington. You end up in Connecticut for Yale. Um, you know, why Yale? Was it your first choice, or what, what prompted that decision? Uh, I, it was very intuitive. Um, I knew I wanted to be geographically, I knew I wanted to be near New York, but not in New York. Um, only because I knew I wanted to live here as an adult, but I felt that going straight from my hometown to New York as an 18 year old and in college would just be too drastic of a change. Yep. So in that way, it was a it was a good uh, stepping stone. Very, very, and, uh, very strategic. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I visited um, a bunch of different schools, and there was just something about Yale that felt right. Um, you know, it's uh, it's it's a pretty artistic, liberal community. Sure. And yet, uh, you know, being in downtown New Haven, it's, uh, there, it, there's kind of a realness to it because, yes, very uh, much so. <laughs> yeah. yeah, New Haven is, is a, is a great town, but it's somewhat depressed. So, uh, yeah. you know, uh, I think that people who go to school there, there, there's kind of a groundedness to their experience. Um, and then lastly, and, uh, the most, uh, uh, kind of intuitive one of all is uh, 
I wanted to go to a school where I felt like I could, uh, I would never have to uh, return to my hometown with my tail between my legs because um, I hadn't made it in the big city. So I felt like if I went to Yale and got my degree, then I'd have a lot of uh, a, a solid foundation for uh, whatever happened next in New York. Boy, you really had a lot of wisdom and and thought through all these things as a as a teenager. That's very impressive. Um, so great. So you get to Yale. You're majoring in history, and you know what's that first semester, first year there like for you? Well, I, to be honest, the first year I I I was trying to ditch being. Uh, in theater, I thought, well, maybe I'll just uh, pursue a different career and uh, be a more practical person. And um, I was oh, just horribly unhappy <laughs> trying that. So, um, so I realized that I just always had to have uh, theater and performing in my life. Uh, and that being said, it was very, it was a big uh, transition. And uh, it took me uh, quite a long time to get into a show because uh, it being a, a, a highly selective artistic community, uh, it was it was very competitive to get into shows there. So the first play I finally got into was like the end of my freshman year, and it was uh, I was the replacement for uh, a part in a children's theater show. Gotcha. And so just to be clear, again, you know, when you're trying to be in plays there as an undergraduate, are the graduate students from the School of Drama involved in these things as well, or? Uh, no, they have their own shows. Okay, uh, so they're separate. Sometimes, yeah, sometimes their shows, they need uh, extra parts filled in, so... so on a rare occasion, an undergrad will get to be in a Yale drama school show. Gotcha. And is there an undergraduate theater major at Yale as well, or no? There is. Um, the t- at the time I was there, uh, it was not, it was pretty uh, fledgling. It wasn't um, a super uh, strong major. Uh, gotcha. So I made the decision to major in history just because I thought it would be a better uh academic background for me. No, sure. But the good news I'm saying is that there was this opportunity to also do theater, um, you know, even though it wasn't a big undergraduate major, but the graduate students in the School of Drama were doing their own thing. So, okay. But you said it was tough, it was competitive, um, and it took you some time to to get involved in that. Um, So in the meantime, with your history studies academically, you know, did you find it challenging? And I, I imagine there's quite a lot of expectation as a, as a Yale student. Yeah, although if a person uh, is a student there, then they really try to, uh, you know, shepherd you along. Um, I mean, of course, I worked really hard and uh, all my classmates did as well. But I think once you're there, assuming you're showing up for class and doing the work and handing in the papers and showing up for the finals, then they really want you to succeed. So they uh, they, they, they really uh, encourage you in the best possible way. See, that's very good to hear. And that goes against sort of the, 
the stereotype I think some people have of these kind of schools where the professors are just, you know, intimidating and, and, and things like that. So that's, that's very good. Um, and so did you end up completing your degree in history at Yale? I did, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I took a semester off my junior year, um, but then I, I, I tacked on a semester uh, at the end, and, um, and, I, and, I, and I did finish. And what, what did you, did you focus on a particular branch of history ultimately? Did you have to kind of pick a focus, American, European, anything like that? Or was it just all different, yes. all different yeah. aspects? Uh, yeah, unsurprisingly, my um, focus was uh, American social history, and I was very interested, particularly in like the history of the vaudeville and theater in New York. And oh. um, and I wrote my thesis on uh, George M. Cohan. Uh, oh, perfect! <laughs> yeah, the impresario, best known for like Yankee Doodle Dandy. And, well, that's um, great. So you really got to combine the history studies with. With uh, what you love, that's really that's that's perfect. How great is that? Um, and so, give us a little bit on George M. Cohen. And I know the name. I think I know the basic bullet points about him, but I I certainly don't know much. Give us a quick give us a quick overview of George M. Cohen, if you would. Yes, he uh, made a name for himself in the early twentieth century, and he kind of did everything. He acted and danced and sang and uh, wrote the music and produced and directed and a bunch of musical directed, um, a bunch of shows that were on Broadway. Um, and the way that people would know him now is uh, that movie, Yankee Doodle Dandy, um, with yeah. uh, James Cagney, that's uh, George M. Cohen's life story, basically. Right, that's right. Now think about that, you know, and you know more, probably more about this than I do for sure, but, you know, you hear about throughout theater history, there's these actor managers and different versions of that, but, you know, it's pretty rare in any time, especially these days, to find out that someone is, I guess, one modern version of that, you might say, is Lin-Manuel Miranda, because he... Composes and directs and acts and you know dances and does it all. Uh, so I guess if you're going to find a modern comparable person, he might be it, um, which is very interesting. But it's pretty rare for someone to, you know, as you said, write the music and perform and direct and do it all. You know, all those things together. That's that's pretty rare. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Um. So, what other theater did you get to do that you enjoyed during your time at Yale? What What else were you able to do during those four years, theater-wise? Well, yeah, well, one uh, show that I distinctly remember uh, was the Cherry Orchard we did. Oh, sure. And uh, we, <laughs> they had no set, so the show was just the theater, the bear stays, the bear uh, black back walls, no uh, flats or anything. But on the other extreme, we had these really uh, ornate, beautiful uh, costumes that were actually from the time period. And so uh, uh, they were very strict with the costumes and we couldn't, like, 
leave the theater with them and we can eat in them or have anything to drink in them. And, um, I, I just, I just remember that being a really fun experience. Just the whole, the whole show was, uh, so interesting. Sounds great. Yeah. And so at this point, you know, even though you had been doing it a long time and loving it, um, you really didn't have, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like throughout high school and college, you didn't really have any formal acting training. I mean, definitely not before college. And then I think in college, the most formal training I had, I mean, I definitely had formal musical training and then um and then I started to get pretty uh interested in Shakespeare and so I had some um Shakespeare acting classes um uh so that I think was the most formal training I had in college in terms of acting gotcha and you know like training is another big topic of this podcast because I'm I'm fascinated by it and I guess I shouldn't be that surprised looking back because it's funny. A lot, so many, most of the people I've spoken to on the podcast, the actors have a lot of formal training. I didn't in my schooling either, really. Um, so did you ever feel like you were missing something? Were you ever concerned about your skills because you didn't have formal training or you didn't worry about it? Uh, I mean, I was somewhat concerned, uh, when I finished college, and uh, right when I moved to New York, I took a, a series of Meisner classes, yeah. um, which I really liked. And looking back on, I, uh, I really am a fan of that technique. Yeah. Um, so uh, that that uh, that was a good experience for me. And then I guess maybe because I had that experience, I was like, I've kind of done it. <laughs> no, and it's funny, Meisner has come up a few times on the podcast as well. It seems to be a very, uh, I mean, obviously we all know it's a, it's a very popular training method, but it, it seems to be a good one for sure. Um, it's funny, I, I'll ask you the same question I asked the other people about Meisner when it's come up, because I, I had a little bit of experience with Meisner training, but it, it was only for a short time, so I didn't really get past the very rudimentary level, and you know, all that, that initial thing everybody knows with the repetition exercise and it's easy to kind of, to kind of get crazy with that and wonder what you're doing. But, um, you know, then when you get deeper with it, obviously it's, it's very helpful. I had one uh, actor explain it really well to me here on the podcast. If you go back and listen to, uh, the episode with, uh, Thomas Daniels, he explained it beautifully. I was really impressed, but how did you find you know, the ultimate application of the Meisner training, you know, do, do you find it something that you, you use in your work now? Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest key for me is uh, the focus on the other person or people in mm -hmm. the scene. I mean, obviously, it's a, it's, it works a little differently if it's a solo show or you're doing a monologue. But, um, but I, I think that that's uh, really... Uh, super important because both because uh it makes me less self-conscious and right. less self-aware and less awkward because right. i'm not worried about i'm less worried about myself and also because uh i think in theater and probably the reason why i love it so much it, it's ultimately about the connection between the uh, performers and the connection to the audience and so if the focus is uh 
only other person or people, then um, then you're you're definitely gonna the connection is definitely gonna be um, the important part of the scene. Absolutely, well said. Yeah, uh, great. So you graduate Yale, and at that point, you know or you already knew that you want to move to New York to be an actor. Yes. And that's what you did. You, you moved to, down to New York right after college? Oh, yeah, definitely. As and, soon as I could. Great. And what what did you do initially? How did you find enough? You know, these are things that come up on the podcast a lot as well, especially for people who are, who are very new to the city at this point. Um, do you remember how you first started, how you found your first apartment? What did you do at first as far as a day job and so forth? Uh, yeah, I mean, I was, I, I, um, I had friends who had already moved here from college, so, uh, I had a leg up that way because I just, I moved in with, um, one of my friends, so that made it real easy. Um, and then in terms of, uh, day jobs, I just always fit well with office work, so Mm -hmm. I think I just registered with some temp agencies, and then I was off and running with that. Um, Sure, I'm sure. What's that? Sorry, I was going to say, I'm sure with your Yale history degree on your resume, you know, it it wasn't hard to find office work either in different ways. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Yeah, I I was never lacking for um, a day job. Good, good. That's good, yeah. Gotcha. And then in terms of uh, auditions and theater, um, I know there's a lot of different outlets now, but I feel like when I first moved to New York, it was mostly backstage. Yeah. So I got my subscription, and I just started showing up for things. And one of the first things I did was uh, I joined a membership company, and so we uh, paid a small fee to be involved uh, to help cover the costs of the productions and uh and I did three shows with them right off the bat and was part of this community and for me that worked really well because it was a good first step. So let's talk about that because it's interesting these kind of membership companies have been around and you know there's a lot of questionable stuff you know these days and a lot of actors are concerned about it there's these different pay-to-play things and all different versions of it. And obviously, they're not necessarily all bad or anything. But in your case, you found it to be a good experience? You didn't feel like you were being taken advantage of as a new actor or anything? Well, in this case, I thought it was a good experience. Um, good. I did three shows, and then I put it behind me. Um, so it's not like I stayed there for right. years and years and years. Um and I guess I felt like uh, it was, you know, like you, know, you pay to take a class, and then you you uh, work on a scene in front of your class. So it was almost kind of like that. It was like right. I was paying to uh, learn things, but then also got the bonus of being in an actual show and having yeah. an actual audience. Yeah. Good, good. Fair enough. And then, so, what was the next step for you? What was the first... You know, did did you you know what was the first sort of big big job you got, or or how'd you end up getting your equity card? What what were your what were the what was the next the next big step for you? Well, one big thing that happened was um, I spent a summer in um, 
London, and I did a Shakespeare intensive at the Royal Academy of Dramatic Arts. Yes, I wanted to talk to you about that. Good. Yep. Mm-hmm. And that was uh, really amazing. I mean, just to be in London and um, to be at that school and to be uh, uh, working on Shakespeare. Um, uh, yeah, it was uh, it was uh, just a you know, life affirming experience. Yeah, so I'd like to hear more about that because, again, not only is it training, but it's Shakespeare, and it's Shakespeare in London, so you don't get sort of more authentic than that. So what was what was the training like in that, and what, what did you learn? What what were some of the big takeaways from that for you? Uh, well, uh, in general, the thing about Shakespeare for me was, uh, you know, as a kid, I found it very intimidating yeah. um, because of all the, you know, words and yeah. part of the the language that we don't use so much um, in modern speak. But then I just started to also love it. So uh, I just it was it's all it's been a process for me of um, getting more experience with it and uh, learning how to. Uh, you know, use the words. Uh, I think that's the thing about uh, British actors um, and uh, theater in England is that they, uh, they're they all about uh, what's verbal. Um, and they, I mean, generally speaking, they think that uh, American actors can be too emotional. Um, and uh, so for me, uh, that was the key for that experience was kind of unlocking the fact that um, you can really paint a picture, uh, just using words. And, and also, uh, uh, it's a little bit, uh, musical the way his, uh, his, his text is. Uh, and so, um, I found myself using some of my musical education to also, uh, make Shakespeare's lines more clear. Yeah, no, it's, it's it's very musical, and yeah, that's another thing. Again, that whole thing of British versus American acting approaches. Uh, in fact, I'm I'm planning on doing a, a separate podcast all about that. But so, um, yeah, so you know, I, I think the one of the concerns or the dilemmas that comes up for for actors, maybe more for American actors, is they're afraid that if they lose themselves in the flowery musical language of Shakespeare, that it'll be like a superficial performance. It won't be realistic. It'll just be the words, you know? Um, wh- what do you think about that, or how was that, if, if at all, addressed in the, in the British training? Well, I think uh, it's best not to, you know, just... It's best to think of it as whatever character you're playing. Like this is their, this is how they speak. It's not flowery right. to them. Right. It's, it's it's their vocabulary. Um, so it's yeah. very real. So it, it's kind of this combination of uh, using those uh, words and that language and kind of bringing it down um, to you um, and uh, bringing it, um, making it more internal, um, so that it fits you as an actor. I like that. That makes perfect sense. Yeah, very good. Okay, so you did that, and that was a, a great experience for you. Uh, excellent. And then, um, and then you know, so I assume you came back to the States after that? 
Um, so what, you know, so what, what, how did you end up getting your equity card? Let's, let's start with that. Well, it happens a lot. It was, it was kind of a fluke. Um, you know, I, I've been doing theater nonstop, I mean, my whole life, but definitely my whole adult life, um, you know, at least two productions a year. Um, but the way I got my card was I was, uh, on the Dave Chappelle show, um, and, uh, I was in two different scenes, and uh, one of them I had a speaking part. And yeah. So, uh, so I joined, at, which at the time was just AFTRA. So right. I joined AFTRA. Right. And then because uh, I had had uh, a speaking part a year after joining AFTRA, I could join Equity. And right. So, like literally a year to the day, I, I joined Equity. There you go. Yeah. For people that don't know, there's a there's a crossover thing between the film and TV union and the theater union. Um, good. So, okay. And then, you know, again, this comes up on the podcast a lot, this question of, oh, well, once you get your equity card, you got to pay and, you know, the dues and stuff. And and now you're limited. You can't do non-equity work. So after you got your equity card, did you find it harder at all? Or or what, what happened to you after that? Uh, I mean, I was uh, disappointed in that uh, I, I, I'm sure this is a common thing. I, I believed that the uh, equity open calls would be more advantageous than they were. Right. Uh, I'm sure uh, once upon a time they were, but now they mostly just feel like whoever is sitting behind the desk, it's an obligation for them to be there. Yeah, this comes up a lot, and that they've already cast it, and, you know, you show up with all these other people early in the morning and wait around and all that stuff. Yeah, it's it's a real. it can be a really grueling and really frustrating and depressing process, for sure. Yeah. Okay, so you were, you were dealing with that, and, you know, well, I, you know, so what? Well, let's... So I- yeah, so I did that. I yeah. I showed up for every audition on the band uh, for a year or two. Um, and I did get uh, one small thing and one big thing out of it, so so that was good. Um, the small thing was uh, I did a showcase of a Tennessee Williams play called Suddenly Last Summer, and uh, it was a great experience. And then uh, on a side note, two of my best friends I met doing that show, and we're still super close. Beautiful. Uh, and then the big thing was um, there used to be a job at Ellis Island. Uh, it was a seasonal job. It was a, it was a very unusual uh, contract. Um, and they, they had a play uh, that ran during the day, a short play for the tourists. And uh, it was just an amazing uh job, uh, you got uh, paid better than an off-Broadway contract, and you go work there five days a week from, like, March to October, and uh, you still have your nights and your weekends off to do whatever you wanted, and um, and we did this play, and uh, we uh, became this really close, tight-knit community doing that, and I did that in various capacities for five different years, and every year they do a different play, so... Uh, so That's that fantastic. And yeah. it's, um, I assume it's an outdoor, it's outdoors? 
Well, you do spend a lot of time outdoors, but the actual play was in a little black box uh, at the museum itself. Oh, okay. Um, uh, beautiful, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, you've mentioned quite a few times now the, the community aspect and how important that is for you. You know, it's that was always uh, a big thing for me, too. You know, uh, you know, it, it really is... Um, it really is one of the phenomenal things about doing this stuff is the the groups and friends you get to make and everything. Yeah, it's it's the best for sure. Um, yeah. That's great. So, yeah, that sounds like a great gig, the Ellis Island thing. Very cool. Um, and then, so you did that for about five years while obviously also sometimes doing other things uh, as well. Um, yeah. And And then I'm not sure where to... Uh, where to go from here with you? What, you know, at some point, obviously you, you had a son, uh, that was two years ago. Am I, am I missing any time in between there or? Yeah. I mean, uh, since that time, uh, I guess I've been focusing, um, you know, doing shows, uh, and different kinds of performances, but I've also, uh, realized that, uh, I can really count on myself to produce. So, um, not all the time, but uh, every couple of years I'll produce a show, and I find that, like, super rewarding because um, it really beats, like, wait for some other uh, show to come up that I'm excited for and that someone will cast me in. You know, uh, I just I feel really empowered to be like, uh, this. I really want to do this part, so I'm going to make it happen. So let's talk about that because uh, it's very common um, especially these days, and, um, you know, it's not easy, and, and there's a lot of different levels of, of producing, obviously, um, so how have you approached it, and, you know, how do you raise the money, and how do you make it all happen, because to me, it's, it's, uh, it's, 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 it's really hard, <laughs> it's really hard, yeah. Yeah, well, the first thing I did uh, was another Tennessee Williams play uh, called uh, Summer and Smoke. Um, and uh, I was a fan of the play, and I loved the main character and felt I was perfect for it. And uh, I've since then seen people or heard of productions being done, but at the time I was like, I've never even heard of anyone doing this show. So, wow. Um, so with that one, I had some family help, so uh, so uh, I was able to uh, use those resources um, to make it happen, and that, that was, uh, I mean, it was not like a huge production, but it was pretty, in terms of being a self-producer, it was pretty uh, big scale, and that we did it at Theater Row, and it was a cast of 12, and uh, I had a full uh production and design team. Um, Great. Yeah, and, and I was I was happy with how it, it came through, and I was really excited to um, get to be the lead and carry the show, and, um, and I felt like I, you know, really uh, grew as a performer, really did my best in that situation. One of the challenges of self-producing um is, you know, getting the actual audience there, marketing it, um, and the fear that it'll just be your friends and family in the audience. How did you, how did you market it and, and get audience for it? Well, 
for that situation, uh, we hired a freelance press person, and he was helpful, and um, he got us some reviews, um, and uh, I think he got us some audience as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, we definitely uh, just tried to get everybody involved to uh, encourage everyone they know to come. No, excellent. Yeah, at least, you know, to, to actually, you know, spend the money on a press person or a marketing person, I think is, you know, can can be very important. Um, very cool. And let's talk about Tennessee Williams, because I happen to be a fan of his stuff as well. And um, you said you've done at least those two shows, um, including the one you, you put up. What do you think it is about his writing and his plays and his characters that makes him so, you know, still so popular, and I think actors love working on his stuff, and, and directors and everybody. What, what do you think is, is special about his work? Well, the, the characters are, are so deep and rich, and, and also, uh, you know, sort of what we were talking about with Shakespeare, his, his writing is so colorful, um, yeah. and so evocative, uh, and uh, it's just, it's real... It, it lends real well to the theater. Um, and I think that people who love drama and uh, love classical theater, uh, uh, just, you know, Tennessee Williams is going to be one of their favorites. Absolutely. And, you know, I have to ask, you don't have to get into detail if you don't want to, but another, you know, again, uh, reality of self-producing and it's, you know, money may not be your motivation necessarily, um, but, you know, it can be very hard to break even, let alone make a profit. Um, how did you end up doing, you know, financially with it? Uh, well, that show uh, definitely lost money. Yeah. I mean, the things that I've produced since then, and um, I often do cabarets as well. Um, yes. Uh, I've realized... Uh, it's better in that situation to keep it like super uh, streamlined, keep it like a small cast, small design team. Uh, and then actually, I, uh, the most thing, recent thing I produced was uh, at the end of uh, this last year, November, December, a piece called Tongue of a Bird, which is a drama written by a woman named Ellen McLaughlin uh, that was done off Broadway 20 years ago. And um, I was assigned it in a class a cold read class uh, by the teacher of the classes, Karen Kohlhaus, and uh, I'd never read anything like that or never experienced characters like that, so I was like, I'm just going to do this, make it happen um, again. And uh, in this situation, um, I really didn't lose much at all because uh, I kept it very simple, and then also I was able to... Uh, pull in contacts I know and get uh, theater spaces at no cost. Really? Wow. Yeah. Um, um, primarily because uh, uh, being a company member at a theater company, um, a medicine show theater, uh, I am a member, and so uh, they had this uh, situation with their members recently where everyone got to pick a show that they were really passionate about and then um, they would get space to that's, use as they like. That's phenomenal. That really is. That's rare. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I've noticed, 
you know, I did a lot of great small theater in the, in the 2000s and, and was part of some great companies. But it seems like over the years, you know, I guess because of crazy prices in New York for rent and everything and whatever else, a lot of them have closed. The few that are left are just crazy expensive, you know, and and focus on, you know, big shows that come in and whatever. I don't know. I haven't, I haven't been directly in that world in a while. But, but producing in New York or anywhere, but especially in New York, uh, can be quite challenging. So that's, uh, that's very impressive. Um, cool. And, yeah, tell us more about the cabarets. I was going to ask you about that, too. You work with a, a couple of friends on those, right? Yeah, I've done I've done both solo cabarets and then cabarets with friends, as many as uh, six of us. And then most recently, I was in one with two other women. Um, right, that's my the one friends, I was thinking Jenny of. Jenny Greenman yeah. and Teresa Fisher, who just won a Mac Award. Oh, great! Um, yeah, and uh, uh, so uh, the great thing about the cabaret that we three did uh, was we get along fabulously, and also our very different types, both um, physically and vocally, um, and have different um, likes in terms of material. And so uh, we really uh, uh, work well together, and I think it makes for a good show because there's a lot of variety and contrast. Of course. So, you know, cabarets are a great uh, art form and a great type of show, and I feel like maybe they're they're coming back in vogue a little bit. I don't know. I have another friend, Amy Jo Jackson, who's a big cabaret producer and performer as well, and she's she's been on the podcast. Um, you know, it's it's a really fun thing for the audience, and of course, you get to to choose your songs and choose your material and do all that. So, um, yeah, I think I think cabarets are great. <laughs> I really do. Um, Beautiful. So you've been doing that, and um, uh, and also, uh, you know, we, we mentioned this off the air. Uh, another connection we have is my friend Jesse Fahey, who has this company, Ripple Effect Artists. Uh, I actually worked with her in another theater company and was around when she was first starting that. And regrettably, over the years, I really haven't had a chance to actually check out any of their work. Um, but she is going to come on the podcast soon, which will be great. Uh, but tell us about that company and what you've done with them. Yeah. Uh, so Jesse and uh, Jessica Jennings run yes, it, and yes. uh, and uh, they're really into uh, like social justice um, yep. and um, you know things that can theater that can make the world a better place um, mm -hmm. and I've done uh, a lot of uh, workshops with them and a lot of readings with them um, and I'm always game to do more with them so and again I'll be getting more into detail about this with her but you know some people um, you know really see that you know social justice social purposes political purposes as a major function of theater, um, and certainly it has been throughout history, and it's very interesting because some theater is just sort of pure entertainment uh, as opposed to that. So, so how do you see the role of theater as a social and political, um, you know, uh, uh, instrument? Well, I think everything is political. <laughs> 
Um, and especially in this time, um, I think, you know, that arts may be the one thing that will save us. Um, so I definitely encourage that. Uh, I, uh, I love theater that's, uh, really like deep and goes dark places. And I know that is kind of unusual. Um, but, uh, uh, I will go and see almost anything, and I like being in different kinds of theater, but definitely my favorite type of thing to do and to see is the stuff that uh, is uh, about the more difficult aspects of life and bringing them out into the open, because everybody has uh, difficult times and trauma and uh challenges and um, I feel like theater is a great way for us all to uh, experience it together and uh, you know just connect in a way that makes a person think we all go through this and just letting it putting it out there for everyone to see uh, is, is, is a positive uh, thing and we can all um, be made better people for it, if that makes any sense. Oh, absolutely, of course, yeah. Yeah, and I know Jessica, too. Um, we worked together a lot in the past as well, and uh, funny enough, I'll have to ask them, because I forget how those two got together, because I knew them both from different places, but maybe there was a connection that I don't remember. But anyway, um, they're, they're both great. Um, cool. So yeah, like I said, you're, you're still doing a lot. And, um, so, uh, you know, uh, am I missing any other recent shows or anything you want to talk about? I feel bad. I don't, I'm not rushing you at all. I just, I'm not, uh, I'm not sure where we are in the timeline at this point. <laughs> yeah, no, I understand. Um, well, I mean, I'm, I'm working on a couple of things that I'm um, excited about. I'm doing, a, one of the readings I'm doing is this piece called Inamorata, uh, by, written by a man named Fred Kramer, and uh, I'm working on it with uh, these other actors, Beth Griffith and uh, Michael Menta, and um, and I am hoping that after we do the reading at the end of the month that we uh, pr- produce it, because uh, it's uh, it's very different. It's like a about a woman who's just had an operation and she's in the hospital and she's looking back on her life and it's just like this nine-page, single-type stream-of-consciousness monologue. Um, and oh, wow. uh, Beth and I are going to share the part and uh, kind of kick back the lines uh, to each other and uh, and uh, it'll be uh, experimental and... Uh, and not like anything I've seen before. So I'm really uh, excited about that. Oh, very interesting. That sounds that sounds very cool and unique. And uh, yeah, you know, as I've said to other people about about things uh, that they're working on, you know, if when it gets closer to that happening, if, if you and she want to come back on the podcast together to, to talk about it, I would love to do so. But um so uh, great. So you know, I love that you're you're you know you're very much about producing your own work. As I said, a, a lot of people are these days, um, uh, and and for good reason. So uh, very cool. And so you know, it, uh, you know, you now have a two year old son, and I think a lot of people would think, 
you know, how could you possibly be an actor and, and have a, a small child? And obviously that's, again, a silly thing to say. Plenty of actors have kids. But, you know, uh, it does make the whole balance of life a lot more complicated, doesn't it? How have you, how have you found, uh, you know, your life, you know, and career obviously being different since, since being a parent? Yeah, it's, uh, it, it's definitely trickier. Uh, the good thing about my situation is my husband is like super, super supportive and, mm-hmm. uh, he's a writer, so he, he's also very artistic and oh, I think great. he understands how important it is to me to stay active in theater and he's always encouraging me to, uh, pursue it and, uh, you know, we, we take turns taking care of our son and then also Obviously, we also spend time, the three of us together, but uh, we're very proactive about, um, you know, letting the other person go and do what they want to do as much as possible. Great. And uh, what kind of a writer is he? He, uh, he's kind of done everything. Um, he started as a fiction writer, and then he got into writing plays and short films uh, because it, it was more social and fun. And then um, I think because of how difficult it can be to schedule, um, he's become more uh, back, more of a, a fiction writer. And now I think he's uh, focusing on uh, science fiction, which he's always loved. Um, he's written uh, different kinds of novels, but um, I think right now he's um, particularly active with uh, science fiction. And he has his own um, publishing company called Sultan Bank, uh, and uh, he publishes his own work as well as other people that uh, are referred to him that he really likes. Oh, great. Well, as an aside, um, you know, if he's interested, I'd love to have him on the podcast as well to talk to him about being a writer and a self-publisher and all that, because that's another thing that I'm starting to get into myself is is being more on the writing side anyway. But... um, But also yeah, just because, you know. Jim Boyette, I'll definitely let him know. All right, thanks. Yeah, we'll talk about that. Um, but uh, anyway, so uh, have you guys ever collaborated at all theatrically? Has he ever written a script that you've done or anything like that? Yes. Um, he uh, wrote a play and it was performed. Um, and then we did it a second time and I was in it uh, and this play has been published by um, a different company. Uh, it's called Poisoned and it's a, it's a one act. Um, we did it uh, let's see, about five years ago at the Midtown um, International Theatre Festival and, yeah. and there were three people in the cast and it's a drama and it was just a really ex- awesome experience. Wonderful. Boy, I got to tell you, you're reminding me a lot of, of- of me, but it's been a while just in terms of getting to do all these different plays and, and all these different new works and, and all kinds of, all kinds of unique stuff. It's very exciting. Um, yeah. And then really also, uh, he, he's done some short films and one feature, um, that has yet to be edited, but a few of the short films are done and, done. um, that they were, wonderful experience. He wrote them and uh, I was in a few of them and you can find them on his website, which is jboyette.net. Absolutely. And we'll post that and any other social media or links uh, on the episode notes here. Um, so yeah, it sounds like you guys uh, have a lot going on. That's that's really great. 
Um, so, you know, I know this is very hard to answer and you're, you're raising a young child at this point and so forth, but if, you know, you had your say, how do you see your life and career going the next five years, 10 years, whatever it is, you know, uh, you mentioned earlier that you would love it if you did get an opportunity to, to really be a full-time actor, but you know, what, where would you like to see your life and career be, let's say, 10 years from now? Yeah, uh, I, the thing I realized is, uh, what I really enjoy is, um, as we've been speaking of, like, community, um, I would like to, uh, keep working with, like, a, a set group of, uh, actors that I really, uh, am, inspired by and trust um so to that uh, extent um i would either like to form or join a theater company where that's the case um uh i mean i definitely want to keep doing um as much theater uh as i can especially when it pushes me forward and uh, makes me a better uh performer um the tricky thing about theater, as we all know, is, uh, um, you know, it's just, it's just hard to make a living doing. Um, so, uh, so I would, I would love to, uh, to keep, uh, doing it and, and keep progressing up the ladder, um, in terms of contracts and, um, opportunities in New York. Um, and of course, uh, I would love to, uh, ultimately be uh in a Broadway show and, and not just as uh you know a spear carrier but have like some sort of featured role. Um so that's my ultimate goal. Absolutely. And uh you know the whole theater company thing and the community thing again, I totally understand. In fact some of our mutual friends, including Jesse, that's how I first met her, um, we were both part of this company called Point of View Productions and that was uh, definitely a dream come true for me. That really was the kind of company and community, just like you're describing, that I had dreamed of, and we really were like a family, and it was really an absolutely uh, phenomenal time, one of my favorite uh, times in my life ever. So, yeah, I, I completely understand that. <laughs> um, so, great. So, um Looking back now, you know, to when you first moved here to New York uh, after Yale, um, if you could go back and give your younger self any advice, or if there's anything you wish you knew then that you know now, what would it be? I think the thing that uh, that I lack is uh, um, taking the time and um, taking the uh, the care to find out who are uh, key people who could really uh, put me in the right circles, put me in the right, put me in the room. Um, I, I, I just never uh, had the patience or took the time to really find uh, uh, people who would, uh, you know, uh, do that for me. I mean, I guess I mean both, like, a manager or an agent and or casting directors. Um, because, uh, I think I've realized, uh, that, you know, it's, it's, 
this is not even necessarily a, a bad thing, or I'm um, not even necessarily critical of this, but it really is about who you know. That's really the most important thing. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, uh, and so, uh, I, I would tell my younger self to do that. And I, t- I would tell everyone who's starting in New York who wants to be in show business to just try to get yourself in the right, um, in the right lanes, in the right channels so that you, uh, can, can be seen by people who can help you move to the next level. Yeah, and you know, I think it's 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 misunderstood by a lot of people at the cynical viewpoint of oh, it's who you know, but that's just an organic thing, you know, and that it's about relationships, and and that's in any industry, you know. And and I had a casting director on the podcast, Lori Malkin, and she said so much of what she does is, you know, people she knows and trusts and likes, and it's not it's not a negative thing it's just the reality so yes relationships and just being someone that people want around and want to work with i think is is crucial in anything and certainly in in the theater and acting world yeah definitely very good well uh mary this has been uh really interesting and and i think uh you know, what you do is, is great and, and important and, and really inspiring. You know, it's great to see people that are still so passionate about theater and about getting these works out there and everything like that. So is there anything else you want to talk about or mention before we wrap up? Uh, no, I, I, I would like to say, uh, that, uh, uh, just a, a plug for for people who do uh, have uh, small children. Like, <laughs> um, I felt a little bit like since having uh, my son that people are maybe a little afraid to cast me um, just because I have this other thing that's obviously my first priority. Um, but I think that, uh, if anything, it's just made me a better uh, actor because I have so much more empathy for uh, the world. Um, so, uh, I, I, I just want to put that out there. I think, uh, New York is a tough place and the arts are tough, uh, and raising a kid is tough. And, um, I think that we should, uh, we should give, uh, mothers and fathers, uh, you know, as much of a chance as everybody else to, uh, show that they, um, can, uh, perform and can do, uh, seize these opportunities um, that are out there. Yeah, so let's talk about that because, you know, I, I do remember you saying that in your email and, you know, when I said earlier about being a parent, as I said, I feel like it is a, a thing that people think, but obviously it's a silly thing to think. Like any type of job or career, there's, you know, many plenty of people with kids. Um, but it's interesting that you've experienced that, and, you know, it's, it's not good. It's like any kind of discrimination. But, you know, first of all, this may be a naive question, but how do they even know? Like, how do they even know that you have a kid? <laughs> like, Oh, yeah, I don't mean, like, just cold auditions. I just mean, like, you oh, know, right. a lot of the stuff I do now is by referral, so it's, like, groups that I've worked with or people that I know, and so, of gotcha. course, uh... Gotcha. Um, well, yeah, that's, yeah. uh, that definitely seems, uh, you know, not 
not appropriate. So yeah, you don't want people, I, I, you know, that's, yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's not cool. So I'm sorry to hear that, that, uh, that, that happens. Yeah. And it, as you said, it just gives you more life, more real life experience to draw from, which is what art is all about ultimately anyway. Right. Yes, absolutely. All right. Very cool. So yeah, please let's, uh, Let's not have that. <laughs> Anybody out there who's uh, worried about casting someone who happens to be a parent or whatever, please, uh, please don't do that. Um, absolutely. All right. So, um, and again, we're going to post uh, any links and anything like that uh, in the uh, in the episode notes here. So, do you want to share any other social media or links for yourself, website, or any other social media or anything? Yeah, sure. Um, my website is marysheridan.net, um, and my Facebook is uh, marysheridan50. Great. And you mentioned earlier, I think it was a website to see your husband's writing work? Yeah, that's uh, J, the letter J, Boyette, B-O-Y-E-T-T, dot net. Great. Um, so, yeah, we're going to post uh, all of that. Uh, anything else we referenced uh, in the episode notes. Um, so, yeah, Mary, thank you so much for coming on. This was really great. And, um, uh, you know, hopefully we'll have you back at some point to talk about, you know, things you're working on. And, uh, you know, it's it's all very exciting. So thank you so much. Thank you, Lee. It's been a pleasure. I really appreciate it. Sure. And uh, for everybody listening, if you want to reach me about the podcast for any reason, it's craftbusinesslifepodcast at gmail.com. That's all one word, craftbusinesslifepodcast at gmail.com. And uh, until next time, bye. Bye.